وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جعلته سهلا وأنت تجل الحزن إذا شئ سهلا اللهم أعني على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Right here folks, so um, this is our second session which um, insha'Allah should cover the final um, parts of this semi-chapter. Actually says I don't have the, uh, the um, thingy, it's only a few lines. So whilst you try and sort of find out that text, we should first give our congratulations to the Man City fans. Because it was truly no, no. So credit, credit were fixed. <laughs> if they fixed it, bro, I don't know how they blagged it with a Turkish guy scoring two of them, bro. Credit where credit is due. It was a sick match, bro, and it was a wonderful performance from Man City. And it was a shame because the undeserving Turk took the place of the deserving Turk, Ozil, on the other side, who was even more sick. That was another fabulous victory, so respect to Arsenal as well. And the United fans just watch and just cry. <laughs> like Liverpool. Sad, yeah, and it's sad that the old women of the football game, yeah, are crying and the new boys are enjoying themselves. So, you know. Also, last week, folks left really early. I don't know why everyone ran off. I said that we had lots of chocolate, okay? And which was fine because then we just caned it all. And there is a part two today as well. Okay, Zafar, mashaAllah, his conscience caught up with him. And he recognized that when he goes and enjoys himself, he yeah, has so much during the time where others are working very hard. Yes, so he realized that he needed to make up for it. So he bought, mashaAllah, some, yani, what I would consider sufficient, yani, you know, sufficient to make up for that yani, uh, momentary lapse of. Whatever. As usual, sisters, yani, lame. <laughs> and then also our brother Muhammad, who is our regular. And uh, he, mashallah, was blessed with a baby boy five days ago. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless him. And push this one down, Zafar, all the way. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless uh, him and his parents and make him from the corners of their eyes and may they thank the one who gave him or gave them him even more as the Prophet said right here folks um, so today I want to definitely try to make sure that we incorporate uh, that which is um, we always claim to try and do or we claimed to have said that in this dars the first part of it should be the, the, the lesson, and then at the end, if there's uh, something topical, then we discuss that, so that the class remains relevant as well. Okay, so we do two things. One, the actual text itself, with his questions. <laughs> Shaz thinks that this. Shaz is laughing because we've attempted that, I don't know how many times, but never actually achieved it. But inshallah, today is going to be the day where we do the class and his questions, and then have an open session where we discuss whatever anyone wants to talk about, such as Muhammad Amir's yani, international bestie that he did today by hitting what he thought was a six and then standing there in the middle of the pitch watching it, admiring it, not realizing that the guy had actually fielded it and he threw the ball in, ball in and he ran him out. Wall first, by the way. 
world first. Uncle world first. Tell me you saw the video. You didn't see the video. Abu Dhabi didn't give you the video. No? You didn't even send your dad the video. After that, the link got taken down. It's okay. I'll find a new one. When you see it, you will make so much. You will make. You'll send so much lanat upon him that you'll you'll have a heart attack. The truth. Don't watch it. It's something. Honestly, I watched it. I need to give myself diabetes. It upset me so much. Yeah, I saved you. As always, took one for the team. Always taking one for the team. All right. So, what's this week's lesson then, inshallah? Today's lesson in the Arabic, um, in the Arabic, it is وَلَا يُصَلِّ قَبْلَ غَلَبَةِ ظَنِّهِ بِدْخُولِ وَقْتِهَا إِمَّا بِاجْتِهَادٍ أَوْ خَبَرِ ثِقَةٍ مُتَيَقٍ فَإِنْ أَحْرَمَ بِاجْتِهَادٍ فَبَانَ قَبْلَهُ فَنَفْلٌ وَإِلَّا فَفَرْضٌ those are the, that's the first one and a half sentences of the second paragraph in the text. And when it comes to the English, then it is the... Uh, which paragraph is that? Only God knows how am I going to count those. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight paragraphs, second line. One should not pray before feeling that it is very likely that the prayer's time has entered. This is achieved either by A... Trying one's utmost to work it out, a process called ishtihad, or B, being informed by someone who is certain. If he makes the opening takbir based on his ishtihad, and it becomes clear that it was actually before the time, then the prayer is classed as supererogatory, otherwise the prayer is classed as obligatory. Okay? So that's the text that we're going to cover today. It will become super clear, inshallah. And for those who are following in the Arabic, um, in the uh, commentary text, which is Asharh al-Mumti', which is the Arabic one on the right, then we are on, uh, basically at the top of page 123. Okay? So what's this about? What's today about? Obviously, we've been covering the conditions of the prayer, and we've been talking a lot about the timings, and that's obviously very important. And today, we actually continue with a new aspect of time. And that is what happens when a person, he knows what the prayer is about, knows what the prayer time is about, but he prays before time. Now in Muslim countries, this normally basically is expressed by the Mu'addin messing up. Okay? And that does happen. The Mu'addin makes a mistake, and he gives the adhan before the time, and people then go and pray, especially at home. The people in the masjid generally going to get away with it, because the iqam is going to be a lot later, and so they're going to be alright. But most of the time, it will happen like that. And it's, it's, it happens, but it's rare. As for here, then obviously its propensity or likelihood to happen is a lot more. And I say here, I mean especially the UK and then, you know, a, a, a bit less so in the West. So in the West we have the problem because we're not you know, being reminded constantly of the prayer by someone else, then we take responsibility ourselves. If you take responsibility yourself, then it's you, then it's about how good your system is. Does your phone tell you, have you do you carry around a calendar, have you memorized it? What happens when you forget, etc., etc. So it's all down to then your own devices. Okay. Now, what I said about the, it being UK being the worst, worse than, for example, Australia or Canada or or the US, it's just the weather. Okay. And the weather is actually a really important aspect of this particular point because even actually any hadith about this particular masala are about cloudy days. 
and of course that's the, the norm uh, uh, the norm in the UK we do get a lot of cloud and uh, most of the time when it comes to things like Fajr and especially Maghrib and Isha we are purely going on a, based upon a clock and a time and a timetable it's difficult to see the changes that we want to see those, those physical changes that are very very accurate the West, of course, then suffers from the whole issue of light pollution, and we covered that issue to death, right? We absolutely, you know, smashed that out of the park. You've got all the notes there that will talk about that. So, let's then look then at the, uh, uh, the benefits of this point. First of all, this is the humbly position. Let's make that clear, because we are going to disagree with this statement. The first thing that he says, A, so no person should pray, okay, before the time. And that's... That's uh, obvious, especially if he, that's what he thinks so, okay? Now, here's something important, that uh, think so, one, if you remember, we covered this you know, a couple of years back, the different states of mind when it comes to an action, okay? So, um, if we were to do a little chart again, or redo our chart, 0% is you knowing 100% for certain that something is not happening, Okay? And then 1 to 49%, what would you describe that as? No, it's not shek, no. What would 1 to 49%? This is referring to how certain you are. So 0 is certainty that, uh, you know, that it's not happening. 100% is absolute certainty that it is happening. Okay, so I think we're going to create a few numbers. So 0% is clear, right? You're 100% have absolutely no idea. Okay, like definitely not happening. Absolutely, like, you know, definitely not. Then 1 to 49. No. Nope. What's strong, 1 to 49? Huh? Strong suspicion. Of? Of uh, that it's not happening. That it's not happening, correct. So, you know, strong suspicion of it not happening, i.e. it's very unlikely, okay? So whether you use very or not, but the point is it's unlikely. So if you are, you're at a percentage about this thing, okay, like, let's just use the, the issue of Maghrib, okay? So, um, at 3 o'clock when Asr has just started, there is 0% chance of it being Maghrib. You're absolutely certain. 0% chance of Maghrib. Now, let's say Maghrib today was, what, 4.35 or something? Yeah? Roughly around there. So, let's imagine you don't have the clock. You don't have a clock. And you're outside. And it was quite sunny today, to be honest, yeah? So, you could probably have a shout at what you think of whether the sun has set or not, Okay? Now, you see, here's the, there's the point. Not only light pollution, not only cloudy days we generally get, not only are the general masses quite ignorant about time and exactly what it means, not only do people don't even understand what it means when the sun is setting, if they saw it setting, they think it's Maghrib, they don't realize that the disc has to go underneath, and then they can't see it anyway because they're in their gardens and surrounded by houses, and of course you need a good straight run at the horizon, really, ideally. Okay, So there's so many factors against you. So let's imagine it's 4.30, but you don't know that. Okay? And you're thinking that Maghrib is in. So, but you're not sure. Now, then you remember that yesterday I prayed at 4.35 and you're looking at 4.30 and it normally doesn't jump five minutes in a day. Okay? And so you're now pretty sure that it is not happening. Okay? So that's 1 to 49. Okay? 1 to 49 is that it is unlikely. Okay? What we call al-dhan al-marjuh. Okay? It is Unlikely that this thing is happening. That's what you think. You're still guessing though. What's 50%? Doubt. Okay? Shek. 50% is doubt. 
Doubt is defined, okay, as the exact equal possibility for two things to occur. So it's absolutely possible that it hasn't entered, and it's absolutely possible that it has entered. So maybe if you were thinking about that whole 430 kind of thing, and then you looked at your watch and it's 432, at this moment in time, you are completely torn between is it happening or is it not happening. So this is what we call perfect doubt. Remember, doubt, as I said, is when it's absolutely likely that one thing or the other thing are possibilities. So it could be and it couldn't be. There's no, there's no actual dominant opinion that is unlikely or likely. Is that clear? Okay. Then 51 to 99 is likely. Whether you call that likely or very likely, then that is what uh, uh, the Hanbalis have called here. غَلَبَةِ uh, ظَنِّهِ Okay? That his ظن, his suspicion, okay? The uh, غَلَبَة here obviously means it's been overcome. So meaning that almost like beyond reasonable doubt. Yeah, we would maybe say in a court, yes, beyond reasonable doubt. Now the problem is of course that when you use the words, so 51 to 99 is likely, but when you start to get higher, you probably want to start to use words very likely, or you just want to start to use the words beyond reasonable doubt. Uh, uh, question uh, for Dr. Shaz, because he goes and does all these evidences and stuff. Beyond reasonable doubt, does it have some kind of number reality? But it's much higher, I mean, there's two levels, the balance of probability is 51% above. <coughs> the balance of probability. That's the biggest range. So that's a phrase yes. which is above doubtful. It's civil proof of evidence, yeah. Civil but, proof. Yeah, in the criminal courts, beyond reasonable doubt, it's much higher. There's no figure on it. So civil proof, which doesn't have a criminal punishment at the end or as a judgment, mm. they are happy to go with beyond... No, balance of probability. Uh, be, the, upon the balance of probabilities, I think, right. So basically, likely, fifty-one percent above. And for a criminal court where there is absolute serious consequences for the person, um, then it is beyond reasonable doubt, which is of course similar to Sharia, because there can be no doubt whatsoever when we get to that chapter in fifty years. Okay, right. Uh, there cannot be any single bit of doubt when it comes to establishing the hudud, especially. So what about the fact that civil could have a significant uh, monetary penalty or jail sentence? They don't care about that, yeah? No. Okay. And jail sentence can be given in civil cases? It is just, is it just monetary fines, yeah? Right. So if you were to put a percentage on beyond reasonable doubt, what would that be? You'd say there's something called 95%. Something 95. Higher, actually. It depends on the case, isn't it? So this case of murder, then somebody is going to be... So they do change according to... The, well, they don't put a figure on it. They obviously don't put a figure on it, on it but I mean, I didn't... Because reasonable doubt, as we just said, is 50% is doubt. Hmm. So beyond reasonable doubt, we don't expect that to be close to 100%. 100% of course is certainty. Just to finish off the table, 100% is certainty. Yeah, yaqeen. Right? So... At uh, 4.50 or 5 o'clock, where it's proper dark outside, it's yaqeen that the prayer has entered. I told you shak was on uh, 32, because you're thinking, right, yesterday was 35. Normally it goes back two minutes. Timetables, it has one, two, three minutes added. So I don't want to make a call on that. So that's called shak. And what we're going to just de- define in a second, according to the humblies, actually, according to the consensus of scholars, is that it is not permissible to pray at the time of Shek. The problem here, I think, is... Uh, just one second. And then at 40 and 45, then that would be 
likely, so 51 to 99%. So you're five, 10 minutes clearly in, and then as I said, five o'clock when it's proper dark outside, it's certainty. Now, so the issue of reasonable doubt, I just, I just find it difficult to be able to put it so close to... Uh, the, the problem here is actually you've taken the Arabic word shak yep. and defined as 50%. Yes. Wherein the normative English use of the word doubt yep. isn't 50%. If you're doubtful about something, yeah, you don't think it's happened. It's not half-half. Undecided. 50%. Undecided? You say you're not sure. Yeah, it's just the same thing, isn't it? Idiomatically. It's just idiomatic usage. In Arabic, shak doesn't mean... Achille, we are simple people. Don't use big words with us. Yeah. What does it do? <laughs> what does idiomatically mean? <laughs> Shazad is having a heart attack. He's, just, he's, he's typing it into dictionary right now. <laughs> it was he said. He said he's typing into it. That's the little. Oh my goodness. Come on, tell us your reasonable doubt thing. Come on. You know who you remind me of? You know who Shaz is? Shaz is our resident. You know the girl who sits on the corner of Countdown? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I've got no doubt, huh? Oh, I love Countdown, me. I'll tell you something even better than Countdown. Uh, It's called. um, Oh, it's not I've got it on seriously, and I forgot the name of the title. Eight, eight, eight cats, cats more. What's that? Eight out of ten cats prefer countdown. Something like that. Do countdown. That is a sick show. Eight out of ten cats prefer do countdown. Anyway, so you know the woman who sits on the side. She's the one who's checking the words. Yeah, the dictionary words. You know, yes, that's a five, but you missed out on an eight. Bloody blah, bloody blah. Idiomatically. <laughs> anyway, but Shaz wanted to check our reasonable doubt. Tell us, Shaz. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Shaz, this is it. Beyond reasonable doubt is 98 to 99%. Say one more. 98 to 99%. Good call now. Probability of 0.92. Probability of 0.92, huh? Wow, that's massive. You would not have thought that, would you? Beyond reasonable doubt. It sounds, sounds like a weak statement. It's like no doubt. It's like no doubt. Beyond any reasonable doubt means like no doubt. There's almost no doubt. Is that really how they understand it? Because no doubt definitely feels like 98%. So beyond reasonable doubt is this... Huh? Well, yeah, that's true as well. No doubt is 100%. No doubt is the yaqeen, isn't it? There's no doubt. I don't know. Anyway, you see look how complicated English system is. Islamic system is very nice, very simple, okay? We have rules based upon these these things. 0%, 1 to 49, 50, 51 to 99, and then yaqeen. And that's good. And the, the, the beauty of the point here that Sheikh Uthameen makes, actually, which is what I wanted to explain to you, is that just in the opening humbly statement we learn that it is permissible to pray based upon likelihood. Does that make sense? Okay? It's permissible to pray based upon likelihood. So you do not have to have certainty to pray. In terms of 51%. All right? A person only needs to be at 51% to determine when to pray. And not just determine when to pray. Here's the next point. That applies in most of uh, the acts of worship. 
okay? The most of the acts of worship. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes, okay? Um, you might say, what is the basis for that? How can we bring the bar down so low for establishing an act of worship to 51% certainty? And the hadith, the evidence for that is the hadith in Bukhari. The Prophet, uh, the hadith number 1959, uh, the hadith is the hadith of Asma bint Abi Bakr, radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, that she said that we broke our fast at, uh, at the time of the Prophet sallallahu on a cloudy day. On a cloudy day. Okay? And then the... Uh, and then the sun rose, but I don't want you to focus on that part. Okay? The sun rose is referring to the next day. A lot of people have discussed this hadith and, you know, get confused by it. But the main part is to focus on the first part. Okay? Which is that it is permissible for them to make ijtihad. That's the key. All the scholars accepted this hadith as the basis because if it's a cloudy day, then you didn't see the sunset. They never had watches, clocks. They had no mu'azzin at that time. The sun, the, the, it was cloudy. They looked outside. They made a, uh, an estimation and they broke their fast. And so therefore, um, the uh, Sheikh Uthameen says, this is clearly based upon likelihood, not certainty, which proves that one does not need to have certainty to initiate an act of worship. Um, so back to the point that I asked uh, at the beginning. Does a person or can a person pray whilst in doubt? Ma'ashak. Is that possible? And the answer is no. It is not possible and not allowed to pray whilst in doubt. Okay? And وَذَلِكَ لِأَنَّ الْأَصْلِ الْعَذَنِ Okay? That uh, the... And this is important. Okay? We said doubt is 50%. Yes? This is where Doubt is less than 50% in English. So you want me to use the Arabic shak then? Probable, no. Probable is, is, is that it's probable. I mean, probable requires a word after it. Probably, unlikely, probably, likely. Probable is 51 and improbable is 49, yeah? Right. So, okay, let's just make sure that people don't get confused. When I say doubt, I mean shek, okay? And shek is 50%. Now, based upon shek, 50%, okay? When you look at the prayer time, which is what the question is, is it permissible to pray if you have shek? Now, let's look at that. If you have shek, that means 50%. means that you don't know that whether the, the prayer time is in. You're not sure. So, therefore, you can't make a judgment call. What we know is that the asl, the status quo, is that the prayer has what? Not entered. Isn't it? Yeah? The asl is that the prayer is absent. Okay? That's what the basic yani asl is going into the prayer time that you're trying to estimate, that you're working out whether to pray. So it hasn't started as an asl. Now you need to establish that the prayer has started. Okay? It's not the other way that the prayer has already started and you're having doubt whether it's ended or not. If it was the other way around, then the prayer would be the asr. But the asr is that we're in asr in our example. And so therefore, we need affirmation to pray maghrib. It's not good enough to say not sure or sure. Okay? So, he then the question then it should be asked, is it permissible to pray if it is unlikely that the time has started? And the answer is obvious. Yeah, and if it's not permissible to pray at 50%, then of course it's not permissible to pray at, 40, at 49% or even 1%. And in actual fact, it's haram to pray when you are 
when you feel that it is unlikely that the time has entered, then it is haram to pray. I think there's a consensus on this point. Okay, consensus on this point. Let me make, let me make it clear what I mean. Intentionally not to intentionally pray. I mean, okay. They call this talaa, playing with the deen. Istihza. You're trying to make fun of the religion because religion has rules clearly, and you either are, are one of two people. Either uh, now uh, and it's before the time. Okay, so it's maghrib is at four thirty-five and it's four twenty-five. Okay, and you now pray at four twenty-five. Imma, you are ignorant and you're not aware, and you didn't know, then it's no problem. We'll deal with that in a second. Or, number two, you are intentionally praying before it's time, and then that is a huge, huge act. It's an act which is haram. You are mocking the deen, and then depending upon what your intention was, so not just aware of what you're doing, but then the second aspect, the intention, there could be something even more serious applied to you. Even the act of kufr can be applied to you because of where you're playing with the religion. Okay? So I want, you to be, I want you to understand the seriousness of that. Now let's deal with the um, let's deal with the issue that a person he does it by mistake. So he prays, and then you know, as as we've seen in hadith and many reports earlier, the cloud clears and the sun is right there. For example, okay, for maghrib, or the the muazzin, you know, suddenly then gives the adhan five minutes later. Okay. There is a virtual consensus of all of the scholars. So the Hanbalis, the Hanafis, the Malikis, the Shafi'is, uh, Imam al-Awza'i, Imam al-Zuhri. So we're talking from the Salaf, and then we're going back to the Tabi'een, from the companions, uh, Abdullah ibn Umar, Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, especially the last two. Okay, there were, there, were, there were two companions who prayed Fajr early, and then the Fajr then became clear that it had not started. So they repeated their prayer. So all of the mass majority of prayers, they say it is obligatory to repeat the prayer. Whether a person did it intentionally, mistakenly, whether he finds out about it five minutes later, one hour later, or five years later. If he now realizes, and that does happen by the way. Let me just make it clear, right? That does happen where people, they afterwards they go and they look at a, a calendar and they realize that they were looking at the wrong calendar or the wrong city, for example. Yeah? Uh, and that's something, subhanAllah, which uh, nearly happened to me on Sunday, okay? So on Sunday, um, uh, I was in Dublin. And my phone was set to the prayer times of Manchester, okay? And it was sending the notifications out based upon Chiro times. And, you know, it's only when I saw the time and I thought, hold on, okay, that's something a bit strange there. Then, you know, I checked and I saw that it was... You know, so that does happen, or the likelihood of that happening is now much more now than maybe before. So according to the you know, virtual consensus of the scholars, the prayer has to be repeated. Why? Because to be in time is an absolute condition, an absolute base condition of the prayer. Okay, That indeed the prayer has been written upon or prescribed upon the believers at set specific times. Therefore, anyone that prays before that time, unacceptable. Just for the sake of academic yani, honesty, uh, there is some reports that, um, uh, because I have found um, from people more so than the scholars, from people more so than the scholars, this idea that, hey, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a uh, ghafoor rahim it was so long ago, I, it was only by a few minutes that I missed it, etc., etc., and, you know, um, so that's the emotional argument. And then there's an interesting argument where they appeal to authority in another legal matter, which is the issue of the Qibla. 
So we'll come to that now. I don't want to, op- I don't want to open it too wide, that door. But for example, a person, he prays in the wrong direction. Now you'll see that the answer to that is a lot different than this one. Far more strict and far more specific. And a virtual consensus on that one, a lot more discussion. So we'll come to that in its right time. But this one here, uh, but there was one time Abdullah ibn Abbas, he was asked by someone who's upon safar, traveling, who came to him and said that I prayed the Zuhr time early. Uh, I prayed at the Zuhr time and then I heard the Mu'adhin a few minutes later give the Adhan. So, هَلَا عَلَيَّ And uh, is, do I need to sort anything out? What do I need to do? And Ibn Abbas said, يعني, There's nothing that you need to do. Now, from the apparent, okay, this would just be seen as a dissenting voice. Very common amongst the companions, all of them mujtahideen, serious scholars, and they make their own minds up based upon the evidences. Um, that's fine. But I think that maybe if we look further into this, there are possibilities of other things happening here. It is possible that he was considering him a musafir on the day of Jum'ah. And there is a well-known discussion about Jum'ah on Friday, whether it does have to actually be at the start of Dhuhr time, or whether it can be prayed before Dhuhr. The famous humbly opinion, which we'll come to in this right time, is that Jum'ah starts before Dhuhr. Jum'ah starts before Dhuhr. Okay? And there are a number of narrations that would also seem to indicate that. However... As the rest of the three imams and the majority of scholars have proven, using these some, those same narrations, you're making sure that the authentic are taken up from the inauthentic and interpreting them in the right kind of way, in the right vein, in line with the others, it seems that this is a weak opinion. But however, it could be that Abdullah ibn Abbas was exercising that. In any case, I just want to tell you that that exists, but it's not the correct position. So, is that clear, everybody? So therefore, we now have five potential prayers, okay? Let's go through the list of Five possible ways that you could pray and what the ruling would be. For suwar, and this is in the middle of page 124, khamsa. Okay? Either you definitely know that the time has entered or you are pretty sure that the time has entered. In these two scenarios, the prayer is, is perfect and fine. No issues. Okay? No issues. Um, okay? Then the third and the fourth and the fifth, there is no prayer. So the third would be that he is in shak. Number that the shak that has a time entered or not. The fourth one is that he, it's likely that it hasn't entered, and the fifth one is obvious. He's absolutely sure that the prayer has not entered. So in these three scenarios, there can be no prayer. Okay, is that clear, everybody? Um, what Sheikh says is that this is actually a very important principle to know. That uh, to learn from that when a person thinks something is likely, then the ibadah can be established by that, and it doesn't just apply in prayer, but it applies in other things as well. Another prayer example, of course, would be the rakaat that you pray. Okay, and so when a person is praying, what's very interesting is that there is a difference of opinion amongst the scholars. So for example, you're praying salatul uh, salatul okay, and you're not sure whether whilst you're whilst you're in your sajda, you're not sure whether you prayed three and you need to get back up again. Or whether you prayed four. Okay? You're not sure whether you prayed three or whether you prayed four. So according to the majority of scholars, you use a ghalabat al-dhan. Yani what is most likely. So this is important because what is most likely goes back to you having a little think and an assessment. Which is different than the humbly official position. Now this is not, we're not covering this now, but we're just giving the example. We're giving the answer, we'll cover the fiqh later. The humble is saying that when you doubt 
or you're not sure how many units you've prayed, you must build upon yaqeen. You must build upon yaqeen. Meaning you must build upon certainty. Okay? Whereas the majority of the scholars, they say that it is acceptable to build upon what you think is most likely. Now you might think those are the same. They're not the same. They are definitely not the same. Because here, that would mean for the Hanbalis, they have to then stand up. Have to stand up and pray the fourth one. Because the only thing they're certain of is they prayed three. Whereas me, I'm now in that sajda and I will count. Well, I know I've done three, but have I really done the fourth one? Let me think. I replay everything back. See, did I pray surah? Did I not do surah? Did I do something? Did, I, did something else happen? I, I come to my mind. No, I'm pretty, you know, from a timing point of view and for what it feels like, I think I'm in the fourth. And that's all that needs to happen. I do my thinking process and then I make my decision. Now, then I do not need to add a fourth and I finish the prayer. Is that clear, everybody? Yes? So, what have I illustrated? Two things which are important. One, what Sheikh Uthameen said, that the concept of what's most likely applies to more than just the entering of the prayer time. We can apply in other things. But two, uh, that the Hanbalis in these scenario, in some of these other scenarios, they require yaqeen. Okay? And that is not the class position. Let me just make it also very clear that we are also, not, as I said, not talking about the fiqh of this because in, in both of these scenarios, whether you choose to go and build upon yaqeen, so you definitely go back to three and then pray four, you have to make the sajdatisahu, the prostration for forgetfulness, and it has a very specific location, and I'll tell you just for the sake of completion, that it will be after the, the salam, okay? And the one who um, uh, has a little think, okay? <coughs> and this is known amongst the fuqaha, the issue of a tahari. Yani, he throws it around yani, his mind and he thinks about it and he goes forward, it's not, then he makes his decision and he goes with it then when this person then he completes the prayer even though he didn't pray an extra rak'ah there is also a sajdatisahu for him as well this is known from the hadith of Abu Musa al-Ash'ari and Abdullah bin Mas'ud and this one is also after the salam as well I'll also add that if anyone ever forgets whilst we're just here now about when a sajda the prostration for forgetfulness, okay, the two prostrations at the end of the prayer for a mistake or for something that you add or for something that you forget. If you ever forget which order it needs to be before the taslim or after the taslim, you need to know that there is a consensus of all of the ulama and the four imams that it doesn't matter. Meaning that if a person didn't know and he prayed it before or after, it's acceptable. Is that clear? And that is the Hanafi position, the Maliki position, the Shafi position and the Hanbali position. There's no doubt a preferred order to study and knowledge and understand that there are two scenarios where it's before, there are two scenarios where they're after. And of course, this prostration for forgetfulness is a chapter in itself. It's a proper study. Number of ahadith, number of opinions. Okay, but as I said, there are four. When you, when you work it all out, there are four possible outcomes when you make a mistake in the prayer. And two will lead to the sajda before the salam and two will lead to a sajda after the salam. But that's for academic perfection. Because what the, the masses should know, so they don't panic, that if they don't get to study this topic proper, then there is a consensus that as long as it is done, whether before or after, it is accepted. And that's something useful for you to remember. Okay. Now, the other example would be what? Where you would use the issue of doubt and ghalabat uh, al Something which just happened. Just happened, not just happened here, but just happened recently. Uh, and the new moon I can't, can't immediately think of an example No 
No. Uh, for the fast, no. I can't immediately think of an example for that. I'm sure the fast will have one. What I was thinking of was Hajj, okay? And Tawaf, I was thinking of, okay? So when you're making Tawaf, it's mostly the issue of numbers what we're talking about here, really, okay? So it's the old, you know, it's the old chestnut of, did I do three, I'm on four, I'm on six, what am I doing? You know, you either got the little clicker out, or, you know, I don't know what's happening these days, but, yeah. Um, actually, it's what, what I tell you what's interesting is watching the different people from different countries have their own system. So most folks are just the only tightly sticking their finger in. You know, you see them literally, when they're going round, they're holding the mushaf in the other hand because they literally got that in really tight. So two done. Then they add that one in third. You know, it's like, it has to be tough so that by mistake one doesn't get loose. <laughs> so you see all these different folks. Yeah. And I've also seen, I think, a little ta- mini tasbih as well. This one got seven, which is pretty crazy to be honest. It's like this big, like that. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, yeah, so that's another another uh, another example as well. Okay, any questions so far? Can I yes. Might be silly. Yeah. You know when you're standing there and trying to work out. In the salah. Yeah. Yes. Um, this percentage can be pretty difficult. How long do you have to think about it? That's a, it is a good question. It's, 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 it's a lot better question than people realize. Uh, one of the uh, things that the fuqaha consider to uh, to uh, invalidate the prayer. Anyone know what that is? Too long a pause, number one. There's another thing as well which is relevant here. Too long a pause, number one. And number two is something similar to that. Sorry? No, no, order obviously, but I mean, order's fine here. If I'm, huh? Well, losing the intention. Um, definitely, but you wouldn't necessarily lose your, uh, change your intention in trying to work it out, would you? Uh, uh, yeah, so that's fine. So we've got that. Yeah, so a long pause, okay, of nothingness, some said. But actually, this is almost the far' of the asal, which is what is the actual thing that many scholars said that invalidates the prayer. It's not actually the long pause. Long pause is a version of what the thing is. Uh, no, no. No. The doubt. the doubt, no. The doubt, if the doubt invalidated the prayer, then there would be no need for such a sermon. Doubt is very much a part of the prayer. Almost, almost. Yes. Excellent, well done. Okay, that any act which is introduced into the prayer that breaks up what is seen to be the prayer invalidates the prayer. So, you know, like, I mean, the common sense one is, is if you saw a person in Sajdi, you expect him to be there for, you know, 20 seconds. If he's there for a minute, you're like, mashallah, yeah? <laughs> if you're there for five minutes, it's like 999, yeah? <laughs> That's my point, okay? So, yeah, I and mean, there are certain limits, natural limits, which are not set by the Sharia. They are set by what we say, the earth, the earth of the people. And the earth of the people is a very important thing because what applies in the daytime does not apply at the nighttime. In the nighttime, if you saw someone in Sajda in Tahajjud, you'd expect them to be standing very still for maybe an hour, Sajda a long, long time. And it's difficult. Yeah? And if the point is, is that the prayer, you know, there's a very nice hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, I forget who the Rawi is, the narrator. I could be Aisha, but I have doubt. Okay. Oh, subhanAllah, that reminds me. You know, last week we were talking about the hadith. 
It was Rabi'a ibn Ka'b al-Aslami. Okay, that was the name of the companion. It wasn't Bilal. I don't think we went with Bilal in the end, but I mean, I, I think we went with no one in the end, didn't we? I was saying to you that the Prophet Sallallahu when uh, a person came to the Prophet Sallallahu and said, uh, Ya Rasulullah, I want to be your companion in paradise. And so the Prophet Sallallahu he said to him, uh, Help me to help you. Uh, uh, so help me to help you achieve that, that you be my companion by increasing your sujood as much as possible. I.e., what did we say last week? I.e., do lots of nafal prayer, sunnah prayer, yeah? Increase on that. So this was Rabi'a uh, uh, ibn Ka'ab al-Aslami, radiallahu anhu, and the hadith Sahih Muslim. Um, I can't remember who the companion is of this hadith, um, but he said that when I saw the Prophet ﷺ pray, well, the one thing that struck me was that everything was the same. That everything was the same. And that's important. It's an indication that it's like everything was kind of balanced. There wasn't something that stuck out. It didn't look unnatural. Now this is a difficult hadith because we know for a fact that there are a number of prayers where the Prophet ﷺ did not in any way possible make ruku or sujood as long as it's qiyam. Okay? So, you know, for example, when he recited Ali Imran, when he recited uh, uh, Nisa, Al-Ma'idah, Al-Baqarah, which has been well reported from the Prophet <coughs> So, there's a lot of fiqh behind that, but the fuqaha still agreed upon this principle. You mustn't break the, accident, the structure of the prayer, because people start to have doubts. Then, you see what I'm saying? And uh, when, I, when, I teach, when I teach fiqh salah, and I'm kind of giving the physical example, I, I, and I'm standing and I'm showing folks, I, I, you know, there's one thing that people see. So, you know, when people come in and they might start, yeah, I was giving some, we'll give, give examples of how, you know, when someone comes in upon you, uh, you're praying in a small room or, you know, and someone opens the door or whatever, and they look at you, okay? Um, or imagine you walk in upon someone who's praying. The first thing you look is that, does he look like he's, he's proud? He's in prayer. And you're going to be looking for a few facts. You know, he's holding his right on his left and they're on his chest or on his navel and he's looking down, whatever. But if a person is just literally standing there aimlessly, okay, and doesn't look like and he's there, you come back and he's still there, you come back and he's still there, you would actually go up and you speak to him because you wouldn't think he's still in prayer. And that doesn't just mean someone who's praying a long way because his, his, his uh, um, lips would be moving. But he breaks the natural structure of the prayer by elongating something way beyond his limits. So that's the issue that would be uh, the problem. Not to sit, stand there and to work it out but to not make it so long so that if another person was watching, they would think that you've left the prayer. That's the, the, the measure. Oh, what about the hadith of uh, the word of the way that he went to Yeah, it's a really good question, that's Allah. Nasir is saying, what about the riwayah of Abdullah ibn Zubair when he came to visit his mother and she was uh, reciting one verse over and over again, which was one of the actions of the companions and indeed the Prophet ﷺ, upon those verses that impacted upon them. And sometimes they find it difficult to emotionally get past that verse and sometimes they want to keep giving themselves the reminder of the power of that verse. Um, but this is something which, as far as I know, from all of the above, the Prophet ﷺ, the companions, and the tabi'een, has only been narrated in the Nafil prayers. 
Okay. Now I want to mention that. Okay. Uh, sorry, I didn't. Exp- uh, I didn't finish off the, the narration that Nasser mentioned. Uh, Abdullah bin Zubair he went out and he came back significantly later, and she was still repeating the same verse. Can you wait out of the natural bounds for the prayer? That's the is the basic point. Um, so what's my response to that? Um, first of all, it's. Uh, 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 I mean, it goes without saying. Individual companion opinions are not law. They're just interesting points, and we know that. But what's what's a more uh, important thing to answer is that the Sunnah prayer and its rules are not the same as the obligatory prayer and its rules. There's far, far much, much more flexibility with the Sunnah prayer. Sunnah prayer can be done in a state of motion. It can be done not touching the ground. It can be done sitting down. It can be incredibly long because that's the nature of the prayer itself. Even even the actions that a person does, the Prophet ﷺ is known to have walked during the the Sunnah prayer. A person can do that if they're looking to try and protect themselves from something. Um, even Subhanallah, according to the Fuqaha, the majority, if a person is getting weak, even small amounts of water, etc., can be ingested in the Nafil prayers. So there's a whole different, it's a whole different ball game, a whole different set of, set of rules to the normative rules of the Salah. So keep that in mind. Okay, right. So the next point then is how is it going to be uh, 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 told about this? Um, the imma <clears> bishtihadin. <throat> where are we? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, no, it's definitely a guideline. Um, uh, it's definitely Mu'min has just said that what about the famous hadith hadith Bukhari where the Prophet ﷺ was in sajda and Hassan and Hussein were climbing on his back and the time went on and he didn't say Allahu Akbar to get back up so much so that the companions they lifted their heads like they have a little cheeky peek kind of thing alright like, what's happening here kind of thing and then they saw that the Prophet ﷺ was in that and in fact the Prophet ﷺ afterwards said I didn't want to you know, disturb them. Uh, the interesting thing is, is uh, just to confirm what you said, is the correct opinion. Uh, this is a guideline. There will always be little exceptions and so on. And it's not super strict. And of course, the problem is, is that it's subjective as well. Okay. And when there are things which are subjective, then the rules surrounding them or governing them are more relaxed. But I'll tell you something interesting. This hadith is actually an evidence for me and against you if we were debating this. Because... No, the companions themselves thought that the prayer had broken. Oh. You see what I'm saying? So it's an exception to the rule. I don't even want to say an exception to the rule. I, I, I agree with your first position, that we should take this hadith as a proof that there are, uh, as, as Nasser just said, there are narrations that would seem to go against this general guideline, but the general guideline still remains. Okay? But between me and you, if we were debating this at a proper fifth level, I would say this hadith supports what I'm saying far more than... It goes against it. Because you would say, see, the Prophet ﷺ, he elongated the prayer so long, yet he didn't repeat the prayer. It didn't break. I would say, see, all the companions there thought that the prayer had broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, uh, but as you said, it is correct to say that it is generally a guideline. Yeah? So, um, so that's a good point. Uh, so you don't pray, pray before the time, Shaz, read it. Yeah, your things go. What does the English say? He does not pray before the, the thing of time. How did I translate it? Uh, did anyone get that uh, electronic copy, by the way? 
Anyone? Huh? Who did? Did anyone download it from the uh, the forum? That um, uh, what was the website like? Humble something. I wonder. I want. I want to see how good it was. I need to get. We well, We need to make sure we get one. Yeah. Go on. Read it. One should not pray feeling that it is very likely that the prayer. Time One should not pray feeling that it is very likely that the prayer prayer time has entered. That the prayer time has entered. This is achieved either by. So the prayer time, yani knowing the prayer time, is achieved either by. Trying one's utmost to work it out. That's called ishtihad. Trying up, trying one's utmost, yani using every single ability that you have. Now, ability here, just want to make it clear, ishtihad, okay, this is really interesting actually, because it comes from jahada, to strive, and technically that could be like, you know, checking my phone, checking your phone, checking your phone, checking your phone, going to a real crazy effort, yes? That would be the linguistic meaning of ishtihad. However, the technical meaning of ishtihad here is suggesting, not 100%, but suggesting that you have supreme knowledge of the matter. Okay, I want you to know that. Meaning that you are, and obviously the one who can do ijtihad, who has that level of knowledge, he's called a mujtahid. He, he has knowledge of exactly, you know, the times and the, the movement of the sun. Here specifically in the book of Fiqh, remember this was written before anything to do with calculators or anything like that. So when you are mujtahid, and you are knowledgeable of the time, it means one thing, one thing alone. You know the stars, you know the sun, you know the cloud, you know where it sets, and so, you know shadows. You're able to work out the, the, the full works. You know what the difference is between light in the middle of the sky and across the horizon. You can see a false dawn and you can see a true dawn. Okay, This is the kind of stuff, to be honest, most of us have now learned over the last few months, uh, or, or the end of the year four. And now that would be what the meaning of Ishtihad is, that you use your existing knowledge. However, from a practical point of view, I just want you to say, I want you to understand that this would now today mean your own knowledge plus everything that you can access. So your own knowledge plus going onto the net plus checking your phone, this will be the first category. Carry on. Or being informed by someone who is certain. Or being informed by someone who is thicker, mutayaqin. Okay, someone who is certain. Now I translated this yani, with one word, but in actual fact the Arabic uses two words. Thiqa means trustworthy. Mutayaqin means someone who is certain. This is the humbly position, but you will find this the same with all the madahib. Classic, old school, yani, loyalist, traditional positions. You know, don't trust the jahil, don't trust the kafir, don't trust yani, the TV, don't trust nothing. Yani, it's just the believers, right? And this is a very important point, by the way. I want to actually, maybe, I'm, I, 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 maybe we'll talk about this a bit. You know, this idea, okay, and these kind of texts, this is a classic example of how people are not able to, 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 to move over from what used to be to the modern time now, okay? So you'll find a, a lot, especially in the kind of more conservative, more stricter kind of websites uh, or scholars, like the Salafi scholars, the Obandi scholars, like the Sufi scholars. Those are seen, who are seen as more... I'm, I'm taking liberties by being very, very general, but we're talking those that have not been, who are old school and stuck in their ways. And, you know, they're the kind of people who you will hear these kind of things from that you can't ask a non Muslim about uh, the prayer time. Okay? Now you would say to me, well, hold on, how the hell can you ask a non Muslim about the prayer time? Okay, you can't ask them about the prayer time, but you can ask them, what time does the sun set? Do you know? Now, if they know, I mean, majority of these folks, they wouldn't know yani, what the, you know, if the sun's hit them in the head, they wouldn't know what's going on here. Yeah? They have no idea about what's happening outside. But, 
there are some people, there are some people, and I always give this example in Fiqh Salah, um, that, you know, when I used to do locoming, and I used to go to places where there are a lot of, you know, uh, like rare places where there's no masajid and there's no Muslims and stuff, and then you're completely dependent, you know, you're in a white old, you know, white classic middle class village in the middle of absolute nowhere, and, you know, they're, just, they're, they're fascinated by the fact that you pray and that there's a direction, that there's a time, everything, okay? In these uh, often pharmacies at that time, um, you'll find some experienced people, older people, wise people. And you'll find that asking them, you're far more yeah, and it's, uh, comfortable asking, you know, old lady who's, you know, lived in the area for the last 50 years, then checking with my phone or trying to work it out Google. 100% I would ask. And they're the ones who come out with the kind of ideas that, you know, well, you know what, I've never really looked, but I can tell you that every morning the sun comes this way, and so the sun is definitely rising from here. That's an absolute certain. And then another one will say, well, I don't know about what you mean about what the sun and this and that and direction. I don't know the southeast or anything, but I can tell you that this is exactly where my sun sets. And they'll point to it because they're used to it because they look at it every single day and they know. Now, classic old school fiqh, the four madhahibs, they are, the, those that are holding on to those madhahib in a really strict way today, they're like not permissible to take that piece of knowledge. Yeah, because they are not Yani, uh, Muslim, Aqil, Balik, this kind of, you know, uh, kind of thing. And you've got to understand, and we don't need to humiliate or don't need to make fun of it, okay? It's funny, but we don't need to, hum- you know, we don't need to cause an issue out of it because that was a different time and context. There was no such thing as Yani, or, or it was little to see, you know, people integrated, Muslims and Muslims living together, people who don't actually have an agenda and they just want to, you know, carry on and do things. You know, you know that the Prophet ﷺ said a hadith which is, you know, scholars have struggled with, frankly, because it's a nas. The Prophet ﷺ said that do not travel with the Qur'an to the land of the enemy. Okay? It is not permissible to carry a mushaf into a war zone. Now, here's a problem. The land is not, the, the hadith does not say war zone. I'm having to translate it as war zone. And I'm the one who would, would apply that today, like if I was going into, like imagine if you're, I don't know, I don't know, random example, but imagine that you were going into, into Damascus or, you know, Bashar Assad's stronghold or something like that. You know, a Mus'haf, I wouldn't trust him near a Mus'haf in a million years. You know, the guy's dog, Kafir, Murtad, the greatest enemy of Allah on the planet. I wouldn't trust him with the Mus'haf. I wouldn't trust him knowing that I had a Mus'haf. You know, so that's like the literal application of that kind of hadith. The fear that the Prophet ﷺ had was that they would abuse it. So maybe going towards that, what's that, Westboro Place or Marlboro Place, you know, that, that crazy church in the south of Texas. What is it called? Marlboro? Westboro? I think it's called Westboro. The guy who burns. By a guy who burns and, and, and rips up Quran and stuff like that. I think it's called the Westboro Church. So they're like the scene, they're, they're like the scene, they're, they're like the anti-ISIS kind of, you know, they're the, the ISIS of the Christian world. They're nuts, yani, okay? They're absolutely nuts. And that guy, you know, he's got the big tash and, you know, yeah. So uh, you wouldn't go there, for example. You know, maybe you get grabbed by one of those, you know, dinky, you know, rednecks and he just pulls out your mushaf and burns it or something. I don't know, yeah? So the idea is that paradigm, that used to be the norm back in the day. And so that's being continued in certain places. Now, I'll tell you something interesting. Um, that they, they haven't updated well modern scholars kind of updated okay maybe younger scholars have updated we wouldn't say that now um, we still have the text to go against but we'll say actually if you do so suspect that this guy's playing you 
or abusing you, then of course it's haram to take from him the prayer time and the this, that, whatever. But what's more important is a person has an idea of what's going on and there isn't an agenda. And there isn't always an agenda. This is not that time back then. For example, back then, there was always this very clear position. You still read it on fatwa sites now, and even if you sit with some of the, some of the more kind of conservative scholars, they'll say it's not permissible to, um, uh, like an abortion, all right? An abortion is impermissible, all right? Completely impermissible to, to abort. The only exception for abortion is if the uh, mother's life is in danger, genuine danger, okay? You will see, I think, in fact, in fact, I mean, you know, I could be wrong. But I have never seen a fatwa for the permissibility of abortion except that it states that it must be a Muslim doctor who gives the final decision. Yeah? And similar is when you are looking to um, uh, turn off the, the, the life machine, the life support machine, for example, for someone who is brain dead and for someone who is, you know, in a vegetative state, etc., so here's the thing, okay? Here's the thing. Do we just willy-nilly apply these kind of old-school concepts and ideas across the board, or do we actually apply, apply some thought here, okay? Um, or do we do what secular liberals do, modernist Muslims do, who are the biggest disgrace to this ummah, yani, and they just, yani, they just mock the whole system and mock the fiqh and say, look how stupid this is. Actually, they're the, they're the ones who are, uh, who are to be mocked because Islam is always there trying to protect, yani, the deen, okay? So in this scenario, if someone comes to me, I actually think that when it comes to life support matters, I think that a Muslim involvement is important, okay? And that's not because I don't trust the person, but because we have different values when it comes to life and the afterlife. And so there's a different approach to some, you know, doctors who um, are looking to just to carry on giving quality of life and care, and it's all about staying in this life. And to be honest, if I was a non-Muslim doctor, I'd flip and cling on to life as well, because it's not looking good on the other side, is it? Yeah? Right? And whereas a Muslim doctor, wallah, yani, they're, they're, they're like on drugs. Yeah, let him go. You let him go as well. Yeah, forget this class. Come on, let him go to Al. You know what I mean? Well, we're hanging on to the guy for a man. This guy's it's all waiting for him. It's all, it's, all, it's all great. Guy's a good guy. You know, mashallah. He you know, used to pray, salah, this, that, whatever. What the heck are you holding him back for? Ya Allah, bismillah, let him go. Turn it off. So... Yeah, and it, there's a different perspective in life. Now, when it comes to the issue of abortion, all right, and threat to the life, either she's in threat or either she's in danger or she's not in danger. Muslim or non-Muslim. And unless there's a guy who wants to kill her baby, right, and you found out he's, you know, some psycho, right, then that's something else. But normative, the guy puts some ideas forward. He's saying, these are the markers, this is the evidences. And in my opinion, if we do not operate this second, then think, I have seen, so forget about what I'm reading to you, theory. I've seen with my own eyes that I've been called to a hospital to solve this crisis where a family said that we will not act until we call like me. And I'm like, you could, you know, she could have died in that time. She could have died in that time. Yeah, did you suspect that he was telling you something wrong? Or is it that you, you know, and they said, no, that's what the fuqaha say. And that is correct. That is what the fuqaha say. Okay, and so it comes back to this point here that, listen, Unless there is clearly a definitive important link where faith, deen, has a significant place in the decision, there is no evidence to keep insisting upon a Muslim, yani who has to tell you, a Muslim who has to give you the information, Muslim has to. The key is that it's correct, that it's authentic, and there is no reason for doubt. Is that clear, everybody? Okay. So, anyway, just to, to upset Shaz, I'm going to pause right there. 
and take any questions and to allow anyone to ask any questions on any other issues to show that I'm very serious, that we will do a, uh, we will definitely have a portion in this class for modern matters and that which yani, upsets people or confuses people. So let's just finish off on this first of all. Yes. Uh, what's the mood in them, like, when you're praying and you can't get away from your desk, so it's a case of like, pray us so early or like, read it late? So, so just, for we're, just so that we're clear, okay, uh, questions obviously when, uh, at this point have to be related to the class. I will make this one relate to the class. I'll do a little googly, yeah? Okay? All right? And repeat the questions as well. I will. Yeah, first of all, first of all, to try and make a question that actually fits the class. So our sister said, you know, I can't get away from the desk and, uh, you know, I can't pray asr basically uh, in its right time because that's the only time that I'm public facing or customer facing or just can't get up from my desk. So, you know, can I pray asr before it's time? Okay? Which is what you wanted to say, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the answer is no, of course, you can't pray asr before it's time, okay? Um, and one has to try their very best to make sure that they pray the full prayers in their right time. However, however, um, uh, there is no doubt that uh, there is a concession in our religion that in very difficult circumstances, and I can use the word extreme, but I don't want to say emergency, because... You see, what would be horrible is that we have a concession in the religion and yet I make it so difficult that no one can actually even touch it, right? Which is, you know, which is not responsible as a teacher. At the same time, it's also irresponsible for me to make it out like it can be done every week. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So there is a clear narration of the Prophet ﷺ in Sahih Muslim, Hadith Abdullah ibn Abbas, he combined the prayers and there was no rain and there was no fear and there was no, yani, uh, he was not traveling because it was in Medina. And Abdullah ibn Abbas said when he was asked, so, you know, so what happened there then? Yani, you know, because you're allowed to combine because of the rain. You're allowed to combine if you're traveling. He wasn't. You're allowed to combine if you're fighting or in war. He wasn't. So how did he justify the combining? Why did he do that? And Abdullah ibn Abbas said that he did that to lift the difficulty of my ummah. Yani, basically, a single act and once in his life, just to keep there in the, in the box, locked in the safe, so that when the time comes, it can be pulled out. It's your trump card. It's your ace or your joker. Joker. Get out of jail free card. That's exactly the word I was saying. Which is basically Trump, isn't it, really? Yeah. Get out of jail free. How does a person who says, I never paid tax in my life and that's me being smart, who's a rapist, and a rapist, fraud, whatever, whatnot, he's actually ahead in the race. He's ahead. Can you believe that? Can you flip and believe that? I think that, subhanAllah, let him be president, learn up upon those Americans, they deserve it. It will be learn upon us as well. You know, and I, I, I just don't understand. Well, like the world is a crazy place. I don't understand it anymore. Yeah. I don't get it. Anyway, get out of jail free card. So, um, that card is there. And it would, in, in your case, for example, it would be that you would predict that this is going to happen on this day. And therefore, you would then pray your asr with your dhuhr combined in the dhuhr time, knowing that that's a point that you can't. The danger is when you, you feel that I need to use it every day or I need to, you know. And um, I want to say to you that there are certain moments and times where it could be used more often than another. So, for example... Um, 
Imam Ahmed, for example, he gave a fatwa once to someone who was a baker. And this baker, his, his entire market was at one moment in the day. Yeah, and he had no market whatsoever. Nothing of any customers throughout the day, except at one moment, uh, as I remember from the fatwa, the, 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 the masail of uh, Abu Dawood, yani, the, from the questions that he was asked. And it was at this one moment, and if he's not there at that moment to take it out and to sell, he has no business, basically. So it's like literally life and death for the guy. And Imam Ahmed told him that he could combine at those moments to ensure that at that moment he's there for that one moment. So I, I mentioned that to, to also illustrate that it's not something which is once in a lifetime and I've used it and now I can, I'm just going to have to die now. Yeah? It just is a case of, you know, I can use it if there is a genuine need. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. I don't want to make it a habit. And I just want to say something which is an advice to all of myself first and all of you as well. And it is well known by now, you know, a lot of people who are with me and know me, that I do not like combining the prayers, even though I accept it as a legal concession. But even when I travel, I don't combine the prayers unless I have to. Absolutely, absolutely have to. And one of the reasons for that, well, there's two reasons for that. One, for myself, and two, for everyone else. Um, let's start two for everyone else first. We are not in a worship time, okay? Yani worship is not like it used to be. Your parents and you are miles, are miles apart. When you look at your mom and dad and how they pray, and how they pray the sunnah and the nafal very easily and lovingly, and you find it far more difficult to, you're trying to find excuses not to, lying and this yourself, just yani pretending. It's clear that, you know, fasting, for example, etc. Acts of worship are difficult for this yani, new millennial generation that can't yani, get themselves away from the phone or the internet or the TV or, you know, recordings. And it's a real problem, okay? And you know what? When you're dealing with such a scenario, you need to react in a way which doesn't exacerbate the problem but tries to fix it with a correction as much as possible, pushing back as much as one possibly can. And that would be to not keep watering down the ibadah even more. Already the people are utilizing fatawa more than ever before. And the only thing that they just want is to see and is someone who they respect and who they learn from to be using it willy-nilly too so that it can justify even more. Yes? And, you know, it's something which is an eye-opener for a lot of people that even the classical fuqaha, even though they absolutely affirm the right to travel, uh, to combine their prayer during travel, other than the Hanafi school, and they're definitely the minority in this, the mass majority of scholars affirm the legitimacy of combining the prayer whenever you are traveling. It's actually their opinion that it's when you are traveling, not when you are resting whilst traveling, not when you stop whilst traveling, not when you are in your hotel whilst traveling, not when you are at the home that you've reached and staying there whilst traveling, even though it's allowed, even though they allow it, but their action when they were observed and the way they taught was that one really uses it as a genuine concession at a time where you can feel the concession. So in our modern day today, it would be when you get to the airport and about to catch up the plane, so you pray both to avoid having to pray on the plane. And then you then get off in Dubai or Pakistan and then you pray the two while before you've got home. Yes, because you've missed one of the prayers in the journey. So you're praying along the journey. Or if you get in a car from Manchester to London and then uh, 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 you set off at 11 o'clock and then Dhuhr and Asr comes in, that's when you pray Dhuhr and Asr together, 
pulling over at the, uh, on you know on the motor uh, the service station or whatever and praying to save you having to stop twice and then get stuck in traffic and get in the hassle or whatever. That is during traveling. And I say that even though to combine whilst you are stationary and traveling is permissible. But we're now not talking about what's permissible and impermissible. We're talking about what do we want to get the people used to? What is it? What message do we want to send to people? Okay. And so uh, that's, that's important at this time. Uh, uh, we need to be careful. And so I, I, you know, however, whilst knowing that we don't want to say that it's not, not, it's not permissible to, to combine when there's a need, it is. So you've got to make that judgment call, inshallah. And you know, honestly, once, you know, one of the other problems is that when you start using these concessions a lot, it affects your own heart. And you find it difficult to get back into the game. Into the game of full prayers on time. You like, you, you go, like, like, you know, the peak is what? Full prayers on their time in the masjid without any concession. Then step down is full prayers with their sunan and nafils at home. And then the next is the full prayers in the masjid with no sunnah. And then the next is the full prayers, I mean obligatory prayers, without sunnah at home. And then traveling to do the obligatory prayers on time. And then the, you know, the basement, yani salah, basement, yani salah, the lowest of low salah, is combined prayers, obligatory only, nothing else, combined at every single possible moment during a two-week holiday when you're actually staying with some family even. Or staying in a hotel where you've got everything. Or staying in a flat where you have all, you know. And you've got to, all of these are permissible. All of these are permissible states. And you've got to make a choice that what one you descend to. Whatever one you descend to, you recognize that it would be that much more effort to get back up to parity, which should be number one. Because people can't make five jumps. People can make two jumps. People can make one jump, Yeah when they get back to normative, when they come back home. But who's going to make five jumps, six jumps? You can't. And that's your iman slipping, and that's your heart becoming dark. So you've got to keep that in mind. That's an important point. Okay, another... Yes? Do you know you Yes. Do you know fasting? Yes. So, for example, you check your form, it says 4.30, Yes. And your last time, it says 4.33. Right. Which one would you go oh, Google every time. <laughs> <laughs> the brother said, Usman said, he said, so imagine we're fasting and Google says 4.30 and the mosque timetable says 4.33. Which one do you go for? And I said, obviously, Google 100 times out of 100. <laughs> but, 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 but there's a reason. Huh? And Google because it's early. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Google because it's early. This is what Greece, Morocco does to people. Yeah. That's me. No, there's a reason. The reason is, is because the guy who writes the uh, timetable is sitting two to the right of you, and he adds like three or five minutes himself. That's why he's a he's a pack of all packs. Yeah, he's a standard timetable trustee pack, and there are millions of these guys all around the world, and they love adding minutes to Maghrib. Yeah, Maghrib is a, is a difficult. <laughs> You know the relationship between middle-aged, I was about to say elderly, but that's not fair. Middle-aged packs and Maghrib is a unique one. They just can't stomach, they just can't get themselves just to go with the sunset time. It's a pack thing, by the way, not an Arab thing. Arabs generally hold out. They want to be 100% as well. Of course. 
and the Arabs don't, and the rest of us don't. Yeah, just the just the packs would be hundred percent. But yeah, no, I mean, look, on a serious point, um, uh, th- 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 there is there is an issue here, and I don't want to, uh, you know, cause too much controversy. Okay, but um, uh, most people who do timetables, they don't really know what the actual definitions of the times are. And so what they normally do is they get these times from a, an official source, usually the observatory, or they get yeah, a list of sunset times, and then they add a few minutes in order to make sure that there's no problem. Now, back in the day, there used to be this idea that, uh, that you had to. In fact, I've seen some statements of some, I wouldn't say scholars, because they're not scholars, but they are Muslim uh, astronomers and so on like that. They say that you should add a few minutes to play to things like fasting and maghrib, because um, information sometimes is not clear, okay, or, they, or there's doubt, or um, actually they're referring to not the full disk under and so on and so forth. That's, no tr- that's not true. I have not seen any evidence in all of my study and all of my time that anyone in the West understands sunset to be anything other than the disappearance of the radius of the disk. And until someone shows that to me, then that is what we go with. There is good, let, let me tell you something. Just, uh, just using your example, okay. Um, what does Google mean by four thirty? If I'll, I'll, we're saying four thirty-three, just think about it for a second. Because the sun to set will take at least nine minutes, or eight minutes, or twelve minutes. There is no place on this earth where the sun sets. Don't, don't someone who do my best divide and find a place. But yeah, I don't think there's a place on this earth where the sun sets in three minutes. Okay. Therefore, what are they differing over? What is 30 and what's 33 referring to? The only possible meaning could be that somehow Google, which is basing it on observatory data, it's not Google himself, but that was Google, no, yeah? But it's obviously uh, pulling it in from the observatory sign, uh, the observatory times. When it says 4.30, okay, then by the definition of 4.33, if 4.33 is correct, then it's saying that Google thinks that sunset is when there's actually a part of the sun showing. What kind of nonsense is that? Either it should say that the sun starts to set, then that should be a time. That's like, you know, their own definition, that once the sun starts to disappear, that's sunset. Okay, well, I never saw any scientist or an astronomer or Google or official thing ever say that. The only thing, only people I heard say that were Pax, by the way. Yeah, if you show them the sun, they say, that's sunset. I said, Akhi, this is sunsetting. This is not sunset. Yes, sunset is when it disappears. So, uh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's not even me going into, the, into, into you know, going more forceful. You know, there are a number of scholars say it's complete bid'ah to, 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 to have doubt all this time and to keep adding three minutes. Because it's never doubt. It's this kind of idea which we are going to always add to be sure. That's, that, that's, that's bid'ah. We don't have this concept in Islam. When something happens, it happens. Either it does or it doesn't. There's no, you know, otherwise, you know what? The Prophet would have added three minutes every single time. You get what I'm trying to say? Otherwise, he would have done it every single time. And I tell you something. And I don't want to get, keep going on, but that's that's enough. Same same for anything. The point is, is that once we know what is the any, you know, the appearance of light and what's not uh, for. Uh, uh, sorry, I just understand what you said. You mean that? Can you use it for dawn? Oh, sunrise. sunrise. Yes, sunrise. It's the same thing. The definition of sunrise. The definition of sunrise is the appearance of the disk of the sun above the horizon. Yeah, well, and that's what it is in Sharia as well. I mean, people are adding 10 minutes to it. Like, you know, don't 
No, that's something else. Uh, you're not given that time, are you? Yani, uh, on a on a on a on a on a on a what's it called on a timetable, you should either it should be, be clear what time is sunrise. It's scandalous, Yani, if people think that sunrise time is when you can pray your duha and ishraq prayer. There should be a separate time for that, 10-15 minutes later. Because it's not when the sun is up, ishraq and the prayers after sunrise, there's a specific definition for that. It not only the sun has to rise, it has to clear the ground and not clear the ground, but qadr rumhin, yani. It has to be, yeah, spear above it before you establish the prayer, which is a tiny bit, which is 15 minutes taqriban. So they should help the people with that. Yeah. That's right. I mean, that's a that's a that's a that's a not for duha. That's for some of the later congregational prayers, such as Eid, such as other prayers. And when the camels go, the young camels go to hide. That's the only one two hours after sunrise. It's, it's the heat that they're running from. Nas. Right. And uh, I find personally, because most Messiahs have a very quick prayer, yeah. and particularly the Maghreb and the Ashad and the if somebody's leaving what would be considered a normal prayer, with a good pause, with, with a break between each verse, uh, and so on, that, that kind of freaks people out. Or if you pause after the Fatiha and then you're deciding on a surah or you're giving the Shafi some time to read their Fatiha or something, that this kind of Freaks people out. They think this is too long. So, what should we do in that situation? Especially so, Nasser is basically saying that when people are leading the prayer um, in a place where there, there's, you know, other communities, other madahib, yani used to it. So, like a pack mosque, and then you know, a shafi'i goes in, and you know, he starts leading the prayer, and he changes things up a bit because he prays longer, prays more correctly, pauses more. You know, what's the parameters? Should that happen? Should he change things because of the issue of confusing those behind? And my answer is, is that that's all, that's all very relative, yeah? And it depends entirely upon what's going on, yeah? So there's, there are some immutable points that cannot be sacrificed. So, you know, going into a pack masjid, you know, some, right? I mean, it's, their prayer is a joke, so we can't take that as a baseline. So, you know, this issue of, you know, going into the court, standing back up and then going back down again, you know, and you literally, you know, you know, you know what that was happening. It's literally, you know, hands... Shoulders, toes, and thingies, and that game, yeah. You don't know what's happening, yeah? Honestly, I get confused. Wallah, I get confused, yeah? So that's nonsense. And we're going to slow it right back down to something normal. But then at the same time, you don't want to make it out, yeah, you know, like the Hajjid prayer, saying for five minutes in between the two sajda, yeah, going, subhanAllah, alhamdulillah, making tasbihat, the guy's thinking, what's happened? <laughs> you know, obviously, you're going to get beats afterwards. They, they really will get upset. And so that would be unacceptable, right? And I also don't like the idea of, you know, this idea of the Shafi'i delay, which, first of all, I'm biased because I don't think it's from the Sunnah. But other than that, this delay, that really would freak people out. Don't think, you know, I, 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 I guarantee that some old uncle's going to say, Because <laughs> if he's leading this big pause to let everyone finish Fatiha a second time, He'll be thinking, yani, oh, what's, what's happening here? Yeah, yeah, imami, and he doesn't even know any kulullah. Try that one. So it's it's a balance, yani, you know, to keep, you know, it's sunnah to keep maghrib short, sunnah to keep uh, isha short. So there should be no kind of, you know, 
going away from that. And we know that when people do go away from that, then the Prophet's evidence is clear enough for us. When Mu'adh did that, then he became very angry at Mu'adh and he said, Fatan why are you confusing the people and you know making them he, one of them he let, left the prayer. He goes, well, what the heck's this? You know, the prayer was going on, 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 on. And he said, forget this, I've got to go on. So he just finished the prayer and he just walked off. And then he went to the Prophet and he became very, very angry. And subhanAllah, you know, he was praying twice. He'd pray with the Prophet and then he would go and lead that Jama'ah. So he's like doing a lot of service to the people and he still got criticized from the Prophet which shows obviously just how you know, important it is. And then of course other hadith, the Prophet said that the rest of the Imams is those that's most loved by his people. Yeah? And yani, there has to be some kind of, you know, tenasub, yani. you know, not, yani, it is, they're, not your, you know, they're not your enemy, you've got to have them on your side. Allah Allah. Haji. Our mother would say, sooner than mother time, we should do sooner, as soon as possible. The time says, starts at 6 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Why we have to pray at 8 o'clock? Because, mashallah, not everyone is businessman like you at home six o'clock. That's why. What's the most powerful? You know, I had such a nice thing. Zamidar Agna. Zamidar log is Zamidar. Zamidar log, they need to go home, eat yani, dal chawal, and then they get ready and look after the family. One thing is right, one is wrong. One thing is right. Yes. So do you want the, do you want do you want me to do you want, do you want me do you want me to continue with the funny? Or do you want me to give you the do you want me to do you want the funny version or do you want the serious version? The serious version is that the Sunnah of the Prophet is to pray Maghrib immediately. And it's the only prayer where it is Sunnah to pray within a 10, 15, 20 minute period. Okay? Even though it is permissible to pray it after one hour. But it is Sunnah to pray it immediately. The sunnah of Isha, according to all four imams, is to delay the Isha prayer. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Allah Akbar. Allah Akbar. Allah Akbar. Peer pressure. But that's okay. So if the mother of time jokes four minutes, it's not because of me. It's not because of me. Allah Akbar. Allah Akbar. Shaykh Ihlan always goes in trouble. Allah is Always been in trouble. Okay, last question. Yes, Jiva. Um, the points that you mentioned with regards to combining the prayers, yeah. is it the same sentiment with the uh, shortening the prayers while traveling, or is that a concession that you should take? And, because there's some people that actually don't shorten once they're traveling and they create a thought. Oh, right. You're, so you're saying, you're saying, is the concession of shortening the prayer likewise one which is something that you should be careful of when traveling? Answer is no. The answer is absolutely no. It's a complete different category because the short, because as, as per the majority uh, position, and it was most uh, well articulated by Imam Abu Hanifa himself, that the shortening of the prayer is a charity from Allah, and whoever does not affect a ch- accept a charity from Allah, it's like almost yani disrespectful disrespectful this was a very unique statement that he made i mean the point that we would say legally is that it's a sunnah to shorten actually a sunnah to shorten and so even though there are some scholars that said it's obligatory to shorten okay and that would mean it would be haram to to pray full but the correct position is what is that it is sunnah to shorten but if you do pray full then that's acceptable but it's just not the sunnah 
Okay, guys, Jazakumullah khair. Fiqh al-Salah, yes, Birmingham this weekend, inshallah, for anyone who's in London or Birmingham, and especially the folks in Manchester as well. Uh, it's going to be an awesome couple of weekends. We go there Friday night, inshallah. Jazakumullah khair. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika shadwa la ilaha antwa astaghfirukallahumma wa atubu alayk. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. We have got so many sweets and chocolates, guys. Let's party up. Okay. Allahu Akbar. Right. Okay, Bob's. I'll start with the camera with it. Stop, stop, stop. Stop, stop, stop.